0: Hello and welcome. I'm Barry Harker and this is Life Learnings. My guests today are Trevor and Helen Oliver. Trevor is President and Helen is Secretary of Sunship. Sunship stands for Serving Overseas Nations by Ship. Sunship is a registered supporting ministry of the Seventh day Adventist Church in the South Pacific Division. Sunship was born in 2003 when the idea of sending groups from Australia to the Solomon Islands was initiated. Since that time, Sunship action teams have travelled to Kukundu in the western Solomon Islands and engaged in community projects and programs. This has included the total renovation and restoration of the local medical clinic and facilities at the local boarding high school. For six years, Sunship has been sending out the medicine ship to bring much-needed medical help and the truth of God's word to people in need in the Solomon Islands. Medicine ship is a 15-metre power catamaran that functions as a full-time floating medical clinic. In 2015, Sunship has added a fast ambulance boat to get patients to hospital quickly. Today, I'll be talking with Trevor and Helen about the work of Sunship and their involvement in this exciting initiative. After the break, we'll explore Trevor and Helen's personal journeys of faith. Welcome, Trevor and Helen.
1: Good to be here, Barry. Thank you. Thank yeah, you.
0: I look forward to talking with you today. Let's begin with the story of the lady hit by the swordfish. What happened?
1: Well, it was a beautiful night in the Solomon Islands. The sea was like glass, the moon was shining, and a lady had just had her baby in a nearby hospital. She was returning to her home village uh, in a canoe with several of her village folk, and they were enjoying a a beautiful trip on this uh, calm sea, But as they came towards their home village, they had to pass through the passage in the reef that surrounded their village. And so the man at the front of the boat, he took out a torch and he started to shine the torch just to make sure they found their way through the reef. Well, as the uh, the torch shone shone on the uh, the water, it attracted the attention of uh, fish in the water. And all of a sudden, out of the water came a very large swordfish. And of course it headed straight for the torch. The man at the front of the canoe, he saw it coming. And so he swerved, he ducked, and the swordfish went by him. But the lady behind who was nursing her newborn little baby, she didn't even see it coming. The swordfish just travelled straight past the head of the little baby and went into the arm of the lady who was sitting there innocently. Well, of course, this caused great trauma because this great fish was stuck in her shoulder.
0: So how big is the fish?
1: Well, I don't know exactly, Barry. I think it was about a metre or a little bit longer. But um, it was stuck in her shoulder, well and truly. And so desperation set in. The man in the canoe tried to, uh, to get this fish out, but it was stuck and uh, they couldn't. But they had remembered that uh, just a little while before, as they were travelling, they had passed by medicine ship. It was on tour helping the people in the area and this was about midnight so all the team, all the crew were asleep but they remembered they'd passed the ship and so they quickly turned the canoe around and headed back towards the medical ship. They aroused all the sleeping staff who were amazed to see uh, this fish stuck in the lady's shoulder but quickly uh, the crew, they, they cut off the sword of the fish and left it in her shoulder of course, didn't remove it but they stabilised the bleeding, helped the lady who was definitely in shock at this time, the newborn baby, they assisted with that. They did all that they could to stabilise the lady and then they had to return her to hospital, of course. But we had no boat, no boat to send her and the only boat available was the canoe. It was out of fuel, but our team quickly refuelled the canoe and sent this lady back to hospital. She survived, they uh, of course fixed her up in hospital But it was the fact that the nurses were able to stabilise her in that time of emergency. And this um, brought us to the realisation that we needed a boat to get passengers and patients quickly back to hospital that were in need.
0: Mm. So how long ago did this take place?
1: Uh, This was late last year.
0: So this year um, you've actually got a a fast ambulance boat, haven't you?
1: That's correct, Barry. We have acquired a very... uh, very fast uh, shark cat, a twin-hulled catamaran boat and that will be able to act uh, as an ambulance boat for these patients.
0: Now, the medicine ship is a 15-metre catamaran and you've got it set up so that you can have, I think, about a dozen staff members on board.
1: That's correct, yes, yes.
0: And does it remain in one place or does it move around the Solomon Islands?
1: No, this boat has a uh, regular tour that it goes on. It has a, a rotation that it does. So it's servicing about four islands out of 700 in the Solomons, so just a small pocket of the Solomons. And so it will return to the villages uh, every few weeks and uh, give what uh, medical aid that it can.
0: And how far apart are these islands?
1: They're not a great distance, and uh, many of these islands uh, are within sight of each other. And so um, the main area that the boat does operate, and the islands are within a large lagoon, called the Vonavana Lagoon. And this is a a very quiet place, usually. The seas are calm. But many people live in this, uh, this Vonna Lagoon area, and the boat does a rotation around all those villages every few weeks.
0: Mm. Now, you've got another story too, haven't you? This is the one about the lady attacked with a knife. Tell me about that one.
1: Well, it's similar in many ways, but uh, a lady was brought to the ship one day, who unfortunately had been attacked by a man. Uh, He was uh, intoxicated and he had taken to this lady with a large machete. And if you've been to the islands, you know that most people carry these large bush knives just to do their gardening and uh, general work. But this man attacked the lady with this very large knife. Again, she was badly cut in many places, but in particular, she had a large cut to her head and uh, her skull was fractured, and she was brought to the team on the ship in such a bad way. And once again, the team stabilised her, did what they could, stopped the bleeding, and again, we had to get her to hospital. But on this particular occasion, it was a very, very uh, rough sea, Uh, it was a rainy night, and so they had a terrible trip to hospital. So the trip actually probably did as much harm as the attack with the knife. And once again we decided we needed a boat to get these patients to hospital quickly.
0: So both of these stories sort of uh, highlighted the need for you to have that fast ambulance boat as well.
1: That's correct. The big ship, it uh, treats very, uh, a lot of people, many patients. But uh, only occasionally do we have these emergency situations where we need to get people to a hospital.
0: So what sort of services do you provide on the boat itself?
1: Well they're fairly basic Barry, Um, it's not uh, rocket science but mostly uh, first aid. Uh, The nurses and doctors will administer treatment for cuts and sores. Tropical ulcers are a big thing, they uh, they cause a lot of uh, problems to the local people as well as uh, visitors and so we have a lot of tropical sores. But then malaria, there's still malaria around that needs to be treated. But then it comes down to simple aches and pains that people have as well and um, infections that they need antibiotics. So we're just doing basic medical work.
0: So what are the, what are the major challenges that you face in, in the work that you do?
1: The major challenges are the, the um, capability to attend and help more people. At the moment, as I said, we're only focusing on a small area. There are hundreds of thousands of people that just don't have help. So the challenge is how can we help those people? How can we expand our services? You see, um, there are local hospitals in the area that are scattered around, but people don't have the ability to get to those hospitals. To travel to those hospitals costs a lot of money in, uh, in petrol for their canoes, And we hear the stories all the time that we just don't have the money, we can't afford to go to the hospitals. And so in bringing the ship to the people, we're saving that expense, we're actually helping them right where they are without them having to go to the hospital. We've heard uh, sad stories of mothers who have just had to watch babies die because they haven't had the ability to get to to the hospitals. So that's the challenge, how do we help more people how do we expand the service? How do we get these people help when they just can't get it?
0: That's a pretty big uh, that's a pretty big goal for us for a small or a small private organisation isn't it?
1: Yes Barry, absolutely true. Uh, but in countries such as the Solomons, the government who are verbally very appreciative do not have the resources to help so it's it's really up to private organisations to be able to do this sort of work.
0: Now, they they do provide your medicines, I understand.
1: Yes, the government does provide all our medications, our antibiotics, uh, all the basics they do provide for us, and we're very grateful for that. We always have the challenge then of providing bandages and dressings and those extra things, but the government certainly provides us with the basic medications.
0: I imagine that they would uh, be helpful in other ways too, opening doors for you to... Uh to get things or smoothing the way for you to to do things there what 's your experience of uh, sonship Helen what do you what do you do I mean you're the secretary of the organization yes, but uh, do you go out there with with Trevor do you go out frequently um, so what level of involvement do you have
2: um, well, my m- main job is really to um collect all the items that we need to send out there to help support the people there. So uh, we collect the medica- uh, the bandages and things like that. Then we pack the crates or the containers and then we go out there and unpack them. And I've been on a few tours and um, occasionally when I've been there, you know, we've just stopped at a village. and This, just is, this
0: is on the medicine ship, isn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. on the
2: medicine ship. Um and just at the time when somebody has had badly infected hand and couldn't get to hospital, so we've been able to provide them with the antibiotics and little something simple as you can go down to the um, pharmacy here in Australia and buy yourself some bandages or band aids or even Disprin or you know uh, Panadol, but out there they just don't have that facility. And so that those little things help, so, yeah.
0: It sounds um, it sounds like the major challenge is actually the distance. Mm. You know, the fact mm. that these islands are scattered mm. and, um, you know, the hospitals are not scattered all over each island, so you really need to have a way of getting people to hospital or, if you can't get them to hospital, to come to them. Mm. We have it really good in this country, don't we? We
2: sure do. When you think about it.
0: yeah. I mean, the the things that we take for granted are just not available to those people in the Solomon Islands. Mm -hmm. Now, you have some organisations here in Australia that have helped. In fact, I I believe there's one locally here in Morissette. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that.
1: Yes, that's right, Barry. Um, One of the most exciting things that we see is um, people come on board the ship, the big ship, they can't see. And a simple remedy is a pair of glasses. Unfortunately, we don't have all the modern testing facilities that uh, we have here in Australia, and so we have to uh, sit the uh, patients down with a big bag of glasses, and they try on one at a time. But when they find one that suits them, they go off the boat so happy because they can see. They can literally see, and it changes their lives. So it's as simple as that, and nothing complicated. But amazingly enough, we have a company here in uh, Morissette that provides all those glasses for us. That company is Personal Eyes, who do uh, laser and cataract surgery. And many times the patients simply give away their glasses and Personal Eyes passes them on to Sunship. Mm-hmm. So we have a supply of hundreds of glasses that we share with the local people. This support has been amazing in changing people's lives. Mm-hmm. And as well as that, they have contributed cash and donations to help with the ship as well. We're very grateful for the support they've given us.
0: When you wake up in the morning and you're, you're fumbling for your glasses, you realise how important they are, don't you? <laughs>
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> I, think that's, uh, I think that sort of illustrates just how a simple thing like a set of glasses can make a difference to, to quality of life. Mm. Tell me about how you got um, the whole organisation started. What was was the motivation for it? Where did it all originate?
1: Well, it goes back uh, to um, when I married Helen. Uh, She uh, was born born in the Solomon Islands and was there till she was 13. And for 15 years of our marriage, she wanted me to go to the Solomons. But I had other things to do. I was too busy with work and things here in Australia, and so I resisted for many years. And then when she finally got me to the Solomon Islands... It was the worst thing I'd ever done. I absolutely hated the Solomon Islands. I couldn't get out of there quicker, quick enough. Uh, we nearly had a divorce over this because we were there for a, a reunion, 75 uh, years of missionaries working in the Solomons. But before it was over, I dragged my family onto the, the first boat that came by and we flew home. Helen was uh, having a time of her life with all the friends but I was having a terrible time and I wanted to get out of there. And so we came back to Australia and uh, I said, well, I'm not going back there again. So our start or my start in the Solomon Islands wasn't a very good one.
0: Not very auspicious from the sounds of it. (laughs) No,
1: it was not. So tell me
0: how you managed to get him back again, Helen.
2: I think God worked on his heart. That's about it because I couldn't. (laughs) Yes, and and, uh, I just kept harping, I suppose, and saying that I was homesick for my home because that is my home.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But while we were there, um, one of the uh, local uh, ministers, he actually put a seed in my mind that, that grew later on. He said, um, we're really in need of some shipping. We need boats. We need ships in the Solomons just to get the people's produce to market, just to transport people around. And that little seed was one that grew because I really had a love for boats. And uh, later on, I'm going to tell you a little story about my childhood. But that seed just grew in my mind over the years. And I thought, maybe, maybe, maybe we could do something with ships in the Solomons. And so eventually we did. And uh, we took two work boats to the Solomons and they started working, carrying produce and people around the islands, just helping out. They were never profitable, they were never a business, it was really a a mission project as well, but it was helping the local people. So that seed, that desire to be involved in boats, is what took me back to the Solomons.
0: So the boats changed your attitude to the Solomon Islands. Was it the boats or your experience, your your further experience there? What, What was it that changed your opinion and your attitude to the Solomons?
1: Well, for many years it was just the boats. I'm actually a sea captain as well, and so I'd go out there and drive the boats. That was my pleasure. Helen would be off talking to all her friends and having a great time. But it was the boats that took me back. Mm. But um, in 2003, two thousand and three, I was involved in youth ministry here at our local church in Morissette. And um, we thought, well, what can we do to challenge these young people? What can we do that will get them out of their comfort zone and do something that might change their lives. And I thought, well, the most uncomfortable place I've ever been to is the Solomons, (laughs) so let's take them there. So we did. So we took a team of uh, young people to the Solomons, and that's when my attitudes began to change. When I saw that uh, these young people were impacted, that their lives were changed, that they realized there was a bigger world out there than just their little home, that people could live without iPods and televisions and computers and that there was a need in the world. When I saw that change taking place, it started to change me as well. And, uh, and I began to think, well, maybe there's things that we can do here that will be of even more benefit than simply running uh, uh, ships that are carrying produce. And it was one of those teams in 2007 that witnessed uh, the results of an earthquake and a tsunami in the Solomons. We went for a tour around some of the worst affected places. And as we drove around those uh, villages, uh, the impact was enormous on the team and on us. And especially when we came to the little graves of the little children that had been killed by the tsunami. But we saw that many of these uh, villages were not getting a lot of aid Uh, They were uh, isolated and uh, virtually no one had come to help them. So the team and uh, all of us got together and started thinking, well, what could we do to help these isolated villages? And that's when the idea of a medical ship came into our mind. And so we decided that we should uh, acquire a boat that could just travel around these villages and give them help where they really needed it. And so in 2007, 2008, we searched and we purchased a boat and prepared it to send it to the Solomons.
0: Tell me about the background of that boat.
1: Well, when we came back from the Solomons, I got on the computer, uh, started searching for such a boat. I bought a copy of the uh, Trader Boat magazine, looked and looked and looked, and for several months couldn't find a boat. But then all of a sudden there was one advertised that caught my attention. It seemed to be the right shape, the size that we needed, and most importantly, it was within our price range. So we went and inspected that boat, and uh, after negotiations and acquiring the money, which was a miracle in itself, we purchased this boat, and we renovated it, and we added all the equipment that was necessary to send it to the Solomons. The boat was ready to go, and about two weeks before it was go, due to leave, our friend and the man that was the captain of the boat, uh, Peter Gately from Wollomba, was telling uh, the story of the boat at his local church. After he'd told the story, a man came up to him at the end and said, uh, Hey, I know that boat. That's a very familiar boat. In fact, I think my father built that boat. Peter laughed. He said, oh, no, no, couldn't be. Uh, we picked this boat out of thousands in Australia and uh, it couldn't be, couldn't be. But this man insisted. He said, look, I'd like you to come and meet my father, sit down and look at the pictures of the boat being built. Peter was busy, but he decided, okay he'd take time and go and meet. And as he sat down in the lounge room of uh, this, uh, the father, he was stunned into silence. Because sure enough, here was pictures of the boat upside down in the backyard, building the hull, welding it, putting it all together, and it became very obvious that this was the boat that uh, we had purchased. So Peter listened to the stories of how it had come to be and where it had been, and then he asked um, why the uh, the father had built this boat. Well, again, he was stunned to silence when the answer came that uh, he had built this boat 30 years before to be a medical mission boat in the Pacific Islands.
0: Mm. That's a pretty amazing story, isn't it? Mm. Not coincidence.
1: It was incredible, absolutely incredible. I
0: can't see that it's coincidence.
1: No way. It was a uh, confirmation uh, to us that what we were doing was in God's plan. And so we went forward with confidence after that.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. Now, tell me about the early services that you provided. I understand that you have mostly paid staff. Do you have doctors, nurses, dentists? Who Who's involved?
1: Yes, OK, Barry. Well, m- all of our staff on the ship are all local Solomon Islanders, right through from our captain, our crew, to our nurses. And we have doctors not all the time, but they come and visit on occasions, Uh, But one exception to that was the very first doctor that came on the maiden voyage. I'd mentioned that group that we had taken out from our local church in 2003. One of the young ladies that came on that trip, she saw the need so much that she was in the middle of training to be a doctor. She finished her training and then came back as the very first doctor to work on board the ship on its maiden voyage. Mm. That was uh, an amazing thing that she had seen the vision and she is a supporter of the ship to this very day. But mostly the people on board are Solomon Islanders, they do a great job and they're all paid staff, but we have one volunteer manager, an Australian, that goes out just to oversee everything and he's the only Australian or expat involved in our program in the Solomons.
0: So where do you get your financial support from? Is it donation based?
1: everything is donation based absolutely Uh, we don't have any big sponsors we don't have any big companies that provide money there is a few very faithful everyday normal Australians Mm. who help finance the ship it's always tight every month we come to the uh, the end of the month thinking how are we going to pay wages this week but God provides and our our sponsors uh, our donors uh, are always faithful in providing enough money.
0: So how many staff are you supporting?
1: We have um, eight eight local Solomon Islands that are on the staff. They are on the ship, but we, see, we have some uh, casual workers as well, but permanent is eight and one Australian volunteer.
0: And what services are you providing on the boat? I mean, you, you travel around, but um, what services will you provide on the boat and what services will you refer on to a hospital?
1: Most of the cases are uh, dealt with on the boat, and just occasionally we need to refer to hospital. Uh, So that's the main service that we provide. But as well as that, I haven't mentioned yet, in the evenings we go into the village and take a projector and a computer and we'll run a health education program. We try to help people with uh, hygiene and uh, just basic nutrition, things that will help them in the long term, unfortunately our Australian diseases such as diabetes is becoming uh, not common but it's coming and is there and we're trying to help and educate the people in their diet so that they can avoid these diseases in the future.
0: Now tell me about the successes. I understand that you've treated thousands of people. What sort of numbers are we looking at? i
2: 35,000 to date in just the seven years that Medicineship has been working there, so that's an awful lot of lives that have been helped over the years.
0: Thirty-five thousand services—that's wonderful, isn't it? Mm. Just from a small, a small organisation um, growing. That's really fantastic. You also have some conversions to Christianity as a result of that, don't you?
2: Mm. Yes, we've had uh, thirty-eight uh, baptised into the Adventist Church, but um, the last who we were present for and that was a very joyous occasion it must be pretty exciting it was very exciting yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. 35,000 that's um, that's a huge amount of work from just disliking the Solomon Islands to actually <laughs> taking a boat over there and providing these sorts of services mm. what's your attitude to the Solomon Islands now?
1: well nearly every time I get off the plane in Brisbane I kiss the ground yes <laughs> I'm always glad to get home. We have such a fabulous country. And um, one of the uh, most traumatic times I had in the Solomons, one of those ships we actually were stranded at sea. um, And that's when you feel the isolation. We couldn't call up Sea Rescue and ask them to come and help us. We couldn't call up the Coast Guard and ask them to come and rescue us. We were on our own. And when I get back to Australia, I know, if I was to have a heart attack there's an ambulance to help me. Mm. We have a fabulous country and I am so glad to get home. So the Solomon still is a place of of trepidation in many ways and I feel for the local people who just don't have anybody to call on to help them. But my attitude's changed, I want to be there, I want to help, I want to do what I can and uh, Just by organising and providing the funding, we're helping the local people to help their own people.
0: Hmm. Oh, it's a tremendous work. So what are your plans for the future? You've got a fast boat that you've purchased. What are your plans? Where do you want to expand to into the future?
1: We've um, named our two boats Medicine Ship 1 and Medicine Ship 2. Which means that in the future we would like to see medicine ship three, four, five, whatever we can, uh, can do. The, the opportunity, the need is, uh, is endless. But we need financial support. We can only expand as God provides and as fellow Australians help us with finances.
0: Now this broadcast is also going to New Zealand and up to Papua New Guinea. So you might be able to um, connect with some sponsors in, uh, in those places as well.
1: Oh, absolutely, yes, um, definitely.
0: So if someone wants to help you, how can they contact you?
1: Well, we have a web page, and uh, that's uh, www.sunship.org.au. So
0: that's S-O-N-S-H-I-P?
1: Yes, S-O-N-S-H-I-P, that's correct.
0: .org.au. What about your Facebook?
1: Facebook, yes, well that's the modern way of communicating and uh, we're on Facebook as well. If you uh, are not a Facebook user, you can go to the website and there's a button there you can press on and get onto Facebook. Communicate directly with us and uh, of course all the daily news is on the Facebook page.
0: And if you want to go directly to Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash, slash, I'm sorry, medicineship, M-E-D-I-S-O-N-S-H-I-P. So that's how you can get there. If you don't have access to Facebook or the internet and you want to um, contact Trevor and Helen, you can contact us here at 3ABN Australia Radio and uh, we'll have the contact details on later um, during the break and you can contact us and we can pass that communication on to Trevor and Helen. So what are your current needs?
1: Currently, uh, we're always in need of those medical supplies, bandages, dressings, uh, simple um, uh, headache tablets, uh, fungal creams, those sort of things. We're always in need of those sort of medical supplies. We collect them and then several times a year we'll send out a large crate containing those things. We're in need of prayers uh, people, uh, their support and uh, prayers for our work is is much appreciated. Uh, our local staff, our few people that work here in Australia, are very very um, appreciative of people's support and prayers. Financially, of course, we're always in need. Uh, we always need to uh, pay those wages every month, keep the boat operating. Oh, I didn't tell you one thing. Let me let me diverge just a little bit. Just a couple of years ago, some friends from America came and uh, saw the opportunity to start producing our own fuel for co- in co- for, Sorry, out of coconut oil. And so they donated the money to purchase a small mill. And for the last two years, we've been making coconut oil, which is put into the ship with a little bit of diesel, and we run our ships now on coconut oil. That has reduced our fuel bill... By two-thirds. And so financially we've uh, we've done this to help us with our budget. But we're excited and our crew was, uh, you know, well, they were so scared they couldn't pour the coconut oil into the ship to start with. They thought they'd blow it up. So they had to wait for me to come out and do that. But now the ship runs beautifully on coconut oil and uh, we buy the coconuts from local people. A little bit of an uh, economy going on. But uh, that's helped our budget greatly. So one of our needs has reduced greatly because of the budget for our fuel. But, of course, uh, we are in need of finances to help us in our day-to-day operating costs.
0: It's really a fantastic project that you're involved with. It's uh, really an amazing one. How dangerous is it? I mean, you've got ships and reefs and islands and, and oceans. How dangerous is it over there?
1: The, um, the possibility of an accident is always there, as has been illustrated by some of our patients So it is essential that uh, we take great care in operating the ships. And we, of course, are always uh, asking for God's protection to be with our crew, to be with our team. And to this point, we have not had an accident or we haven't even hit the reef with a boat or anything like that. Uh, God has been with us in the last eight years. In fact, uh, for 25 years now that we've been working in the Solomons in one way or the other, God has been with us and uh, there hasn't been any mishaps at all. So we are very, very grateful. But the, the possibility is always there. Mm. And the, the great problem is the isolation, that you're a long way from getting help. So for the local people, they live with that, they get used to it, but that, uh, that possibility is there, it's always present.
0: Now Sonship has also been involved in refurbishing clinics in the Solomon Islands. Helen, tell me a little bit about that.
2: Well, in 2004 was our first Sonship team that went to Kokundu Clinic and um, we totally refurbished it. Refurbished it. Um, we took out new beds for it, mattresses, bedside tables, repainted the inside and outside and um, years down the track... Uh, we just keep doing that. Our local church has adopted that clinic to keep looking after it and so every year we take out a team. Um, sometimes they don't do the clinic because it doesn't need attention every year but we then have expanded to the local high school and the last few years we've gone a bit further into the Vonavona Lagoon where the medical boat has been and helped some of the schools there and um, so that has been really greatly appreciated too. How many
0: refurbishments have you done? It sounds like quite a few.
1: Well, we've done a few with Sunship, but the idea has grown you know, to other areas. Um, a program called Adopt-A-Clinic has been started as a result of our work and around 56 clinics in the Pacific have been adopted by various churches and groups. And so the the little work that we started has been taken on by others, and uh, has had a great effect around the Pacific.
0: You're listening to Life Learnings with Barry Harker on 3ABN Radio Network. My guests are Trevor and Helen Oliver, President and Secretary respectively of Sunship. Sunship operates a full-time floating medical clinic in the Solomon Islands and also has a fast ambulance boat as well. We're going to go to a break now. When we come back, I'll be talking with Trevor and Helen about their personal journeys of faith.
1: If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's programme, you can call 3abn Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 612 4973 3456. Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au that is radio at the number 3ABN Australia, all one word, .org.au. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia, Inc., P.O. Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales, 2264, Australia. Thank you for your prayers and
0: financial support. If you've just joined us, I'm Barry Harker, and you're listening to Life Learnings. My guests today are Trevor and Helen Oliver of Sunship, a ministry that operates a full-time floating medical clinic in the Solomon Islands and also a fast ambulance boat. In this part of today's program, I'll be talking with Trevor and Helen about their journeys of faith. Trevor and Helen, tell me about yourselves. Let's begin with your early lives and families, and I think we'll start with Helen.
2: Well, I was um, born number five child to uh, missionary parents in Solomon Islands. So uh, Honiara is my birthplace. Um, and at three years old, my parents moved up to Kokundu in the west. And it's such a picturesque, idyllic paradise mm-hmm. of a place. And I was 13 when I left there. So it uh, has a very big part of my heart. And um, so I kind of feel I'm part of the, the Solomon Island people. When I go back there, they treat me like family. Mm-hmm. And um, But coming back to Australia was very hard adjustment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But growing up there, we would do homeschooling. Mum taught us. And she was a nurse, so in between delivering babies and clinic work she'd help us with the work school work um but that was in the morning so the afternoons were then spent playing with all the local children so um i can communicate in three languages now uh english and pigeon english and the marival lagoon and marival language which was um very fluent back then. It's a bit, it's a bit rusty now, but mm. I can understand it. And so it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of canoes to play in, so I became very um, stable in canoes and loved playing the rivers and the oceans. Um,
0: it sounds pretty idyllic.
2: It is. <laughs> I dearly would have loved to have had my children grow up there, but that wasn't to be. But they have been back there several times and um, have enjoyed their times out there too. And our grandson has uh, been there till he's two and um, he loved the food. And that was, that's one thing that I had difficulty adjusting to in Australia was all the food because the uh, food I was brought up on in the Solomons is taro and tapioca and um, a lot of different things that you don't get in Australia. So typical Australian potatoes and carrot and cabbage, that wasn't part of my diet. And every time we'd come home on furlough before years mum would have trouble getting us to eat food in Australia. But at 13, my parents sent me home to a great aunt in Western Australia to go to high school, which um, was a huge adjustment. I found it difficult to make friends mm-hmm. um, and I found it difficult to communicate in an in Australian way. But uh, over the years, I've adjusted, and then um, it's uh, it's been Solomon Islands has still stayed part of me. I just can't shake it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just part of me, and so I I, I really am black and white, and <laughs> or nationalities are mixed up. So when I'm in Australia. I feel homesick for Solomon Islands. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm out there visiting, I feel homesick for Australia. So it's a bit of a, a weird feeling.
0: I guess that's um, something that happens to people who've lived across two cultures.
2: Yes, I've heard that missionary children are a bit like that. I'm not sure where they fit in, but I feel I fit into both cultures. Mm-hmm. And I love going back and forth. Mm-hmm which I guess is the real reason that I um, was able to drag my husband back there after many years of trying. And I'm so grateful now that we can go back and help the people there because they are so um, less fortunate than we are. We have so much here. They have so little, and yet they're always happy. They're always happy.
0: I guess it's not nice to be torn between two cultures, but it's also nice to be able to experience both cultures, isn't it?
2: It is, yes. The fact, love that the, s- the fact that you
0: can go back there and renew your, your um, sort of contact with, with mm. the Solomon Islands, I think that's a great thing. Mm. Trevor, tell us about your background.
1: Well, I was born up in uh, probably what you'd call an average Australian home. I lived in a town called Goulburn, nice cold place, and so the tropics is very different to that. And uh, so I was brought up by a good Christian family. Mum and Dad were great parents, had a great brother. So we were just a tight-knit family. And so um, nothing exciting in our lives like going overseas or exploring, just uh, life. I uh, My dad was a builder at the time, and I did a carpentry apprenticeship with him. And uh, so we, we lived an average Australian lifestyle. And it wasn't until I met Helen uh, in college that things began to change a bit. Just one of the little things, Helen's talking about the difference in uh, culture. When we were courting, I bought her chocolates, thinking I was doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I found out later she hated chocolates. She'd never had chocolate in the Solomon Islands, and so I was wasting my money. (laughs) And Ever since, we've had uh, differences in diet. I came from a cold climate. She came from a tropical one. So she loves fresh fruit and salads. I love potatoes and savouries, you know, so... We still have those struggles in our family now, trying to work out our diet. But, uh, yeah, I was brought up um, over each family. But one of the things I mentioned earlier on, uh, my love for boats. Even though Goulburn doesn't have uh, sea or ocean or lakes nearby, I, I just love boats. And I remember the thing that changed my, my childhood. My brother and I were playing cricket in the backyard, and Dad came home from work. And uh, he was a builder and he had a rack on the top of his uh, ute and he came home with this thing on the top of the ute and uh, he came and interrupted our cricket match and he said, oh, I've got something for you. And I uh, went to the ute and here was this uh, little wooden canoe that one of Dad's clients had given him. And he said, Dad, would you like this canoe? And I said, oh, yeah, 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 that'd be good, Dad. And so that became my little project. And this little canoe, I painted it and I put uh, padding on the seats and I made new paddles and just made a beautiful little canoe. And I used to go down to the, uh, well, sort of dirty little river and uh, paddle my canoe. And that's where my love of boats started. So I remember that so clearly. The dad gave me that canoe and so from then on, boats were it for me. Mm. So little things can change our lives that parents do and that certainly did for me.
0: Maybe it was fortuitous, given what you were going to be doing later in your life, that you um, you had access to that. It's um, it's interesting, isn't it, how just a simple gift or something simple that happens to us in our childhood can influence us for the rest of our lives.
1: Absolutely true. Yes.
0: So you are, you've only got one brother.
1: Only one brother in the family. That's the two of us. Yes, only a small family.
0: And Helen's the fifth of five. Was that the?
2: Oh no. The fifth of seven.
0: Fifth of seven? Yeah, two okay. more after me. Okay.
2: Mm.
0: So, do they all have the same attachment to the Solomon Islands that you do?
2: No, unfortunately. Um, I don't, there's only two sisters that have ever been back there as adults, and only once. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm the lucky one. Yeah, mm.
0: sounds like it. Okay, now tell me about your experience of school, Helen. You were homeschooled.
2: Yes. Um, and you
0: came back to Australia. Mm hmm. And um, you had a bit of a struggle getting friends um, yes, and Getting friends and in adjusting
2: to the school, I guess. Um, and you
0: were on your own at that stage. Oh, even though you were yeah. with, with family,
2: yeah.
0: you were away from your parents. Yes. You know, 13 years of that age. 13. That, that, must have really been, ha- that must have been a bit of an adjustment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What about you, Trevor? What was school like for you?
1: Well, um, yes, yeah, school. I went to public school, primary school and high school in Goulburn. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, I did reasonably well at school, but my heart wasn't in it like many young people. But, uh, yeah, I finished school and uh, then did my building carpentry apprenticeship and uh, did that at Goulburn Tech and also at Avondale College mm-hmm. where I did a two-year course as well, and that's where I met Helen.
0: Well, what was your experience of religion?
2: Well, I was brought up as a Seventh-day Adventist in Mm -hmm. a loving home. And um, I always believed there is a God. And when I came back to Australia at 13, I was baptized. Um, never, Never thought anything different. But I guess the... The last ten years, um, having this, um, having to have a trust in God providing for medicineship, and all the um, um, all the the dark times that you go through, not knowing where you're going to get the next a bit of money from to pay for the the local wages, mm-hmm. has taught me to really. Um, just wait on the Lord and in his time he does provide if it's his will and if sometimes when it's not his will then we just still have to accept. Um, So I guess my faith has grown Mm. going through these experiences.
0: What about you Trevor?
1: God has always been part of my life and um, I've always wanted to do his will but you know, um right now um we have the assurance that what we're doing is his will. that makes all the difference mm-hmm. it um it was um what's the word cemented ratified in our minds by a little story, which I would like to tell you in thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. There was a little village in the Solomons where the ship had gone past for years. A lady on shore had been watching the ship and wondering, why doesn't it come to my village? But it had bigger villages to go to. So eventually they were ahead of schedule on the ship one day and they called into this little village and the lady came on board and told her story. And she said, I had a dream. I had a dream. You see, I'd married a non-Christian man and I always wanted him to be introduced to God and to Christianity but I didn't know how it was going to happen. She had a dream and she said, God told me in the dream that her husband would be helped by a ship. And she said, when she came on board our ship, she saw the sign medicine ship on the side and she said, That's it. That's what I saw in my dream. And her husband now has been introduced to the chaplains. He's learning about God. And when we heard that, we thought, God ratified. He said, This ship is doing my will by giving this dream to the lady. That made my faith grow. That's Mm. cemented in my mind Mm. we're doing what God wants us to do. Mm.
0: What's your motivation like today? Has it changed over time?
1: Certainly has uh, from just uh, doing ships and boats. My motivation now is to see more people, not only blessed medically and physically but spiritually. And every time we go back and we see those results, that gives us the motivation to do the hard work, to go through the hard times, to trust in God more.
0: This sort of ministry that you're operating, we're sure, is pretty close to God's heart because when Jesus came to earth, he spent a lot of time healing people as well as teaching them. So he had an interest in the whole person. It wasn't just bringing a spiritual message, but bringing a message that would um, elevate the lives of people in all areas of their lives. And so it's a, a wonderful thing that you're actually doing. I want you to tell me now about what you've actually learned from your lives that you think we really ought to know, that all of us ought to know, take account of. Helen, you're first.
2: Um, just learning to trust. And no matter how bad you think the situation is, someone else is far worse off than you, but just trust that God knows best. Mm-hmm. And um that's how I feel and it's only through experience that I've come to that conclusion. So yeah, it's just learned to trust God. To trust. Mm.
1: Trevor. In my earlier years, uh work business was uh, most important. Um making a livelihood, putting things together for this uh for my family. But, you know, the Word of God says, uh, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. And I've learned now that, yes, if I just keep my focus on doing God's work, He will provide the other things. He will look after them. And I think if we could only learn that in earlier years, our life would be much less stressful. Mm. If we learned to trust in God, he said, Look at the uh, flowers, look at the birds, he looks after them all. He'll certainly look after us. And so if we put him first, if we seek his kingdom and his work first, he'll look after us.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, let's have a look at your favorite Bible passages.
2: Yeah, well, mine's uh, Romans eight twenty eight, And uh, it used to be, it was my mum's as well, but I, I really have only just taken it on board the last 10 years because it it sort of um, uh, helps me to understand that God knows best. And it goes like, um, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. So um, when I don't understand why things go certain ways, I just say, well, Lord, it's... It's in your hands and I will trust in you and according to your will. And mm.
0: It's wonderful to be able to just leave those sorts of things in God's hands to mm. know that even sometimes the bad things that happen to us have a, an outcome in the future mm. um, that's important for us. So we can trust God even though we don't see the future like he does. Mm. Um, we can trust our lives into his care And know that um, if we put our trust in him, that we're safe. Mm -hmm. No matter what happens to us, that we're safe. What about you, Trevor? What's your favorite passage?
1: Well, my favorite text is found in Isaiah, and it says, And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. And so many times we have seen God go before us. Mm. The story of the ship prepared 30 years before is an illustration of that. He knows our needs and He provides long before we even ask Him.
0: That's a wonderful illustration, isn't it, of that passage, to think that that boat was Mm. waiting for you for all those years. Mm. And it was dedicated to mission service. Mm. You didn't know that, but you found that out after the event. So God was in that, I'm sure. Mm. Trevor, would you like to close our conversation today with prayer?
1: Sure. Okay. Our Father in heaven... Your ways are mysterious to us sometimes, but your ways are so great and above what we can think and do. And so, Lord, help each one of us to surrender to your will, to put our lives in your hand, to let you have control of us so that you may use us in the very best way that you have in mind. As we do that, Lord, we know that you will guide our lives, that you will bless us, you will provide our needs, but you will give us the comfort of knowing that you are with us. Hear our prayers. In fact, answer them before we even call. Be with each listener today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: Trevor and Helen, thank you. It's been a real pleasure to um, to talk with you today. I wish you well personally, and I certainly wish you well in your work with Sonship. And if there are any listeners out there who want to uh, contact Trevor and Helen, they can do it through the website which is www.sonshop.org.au, or on the Facebook account, which is facebook.com forward slash medicineship, M-E-D-I-S-O-N-S-H-O-P. If you don't have access to either of those two ways, contact us here at uh, 3ABN Australia Radio, and we'll pass the message on to Trevor and Helen. I'm Barry Harker, and this is Life Learnings. My guests today have been Trevor and Helen Oliver of Sunship a ministry that operates a full-time floating medical clinic in the Solomon Islands and also a fast ambulance boat. Remember to tune in again next time as I speak with another fascinating guest or guests on Life Learnings. Until then, bye for now and God bless you and keep you.
1: You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.